Nerdy Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. It's episode one of season three. Hooray! Yay! If you're new to the show, welcome. Abby and I have been friends since the day she was born. <laughs> that means I'm older. <laughs> Dang it. Oh, not by much. It's okay. Well, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Listen, we both love drinking coffee and talking about our favorite horror movies together and with you. You can find our episodes, blog posts, merch, and more by going over to www.goodmorningnancy.com. That's morning with an M-O-U-R. We work really hard on these episodes and we do a lot of research. Show us how much you appreciate our work and head on over to patreon.com slash goodmorningnancy. Okay, so today we're going to be discussing Universal's 1931 classic, Frankenstein. The screenplay was written by Francis Edward Farrago and Garrett Fort. They based it off of the 1927 stage play by Peggy Webling, and she based it off of the story that was by Mary Shelley, (laughs) and her novel was called Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus, which was first published in 1818. The film was helmed by British director James Whale, and it stars Boris Karloff, Colin Clive, Mae Clark, Dwight Fry, and Edward Von Sloan. Wow. What a cast. What a bunch of very talented people putting this whole thing together. (laughs) Okay, so the Great Depression... Oh, boy. Starts this whole story. (laughs) So the Great Depression in the United States began in 1929. And in 1930, the very small Universal Studios was in trouble financially. The studio had just lost a little over $2 million in revenue that year. That's over $30 million in today's money. That's rough. There seemed to be very little hope that the studio would survive America's Great Depression, which lasted like 10 years. Yeah. Carl Lemley Jr., the new head of Universal Studios, was just 23 at this time. Oh, my God. In 1930, he greenlit Universal's production of Dracula, which stars Bela Lugosi. The film premiered on Valentine's Day in 1931, and it was a huge hit. So nobody wanted to see war movies anymore. Everyone was going to spend like the two cents that they had in their pockets on horror movies. Yeah. Immediately after the weekend success of Dracula, Carl Lemley Jr. announced that they would make another monster movie, Frankenstein. (laughs) And it would star, not who you think, (laughs) it was going to star Bela Lugosi. Oh. Yeah. Bela Lugosi was set to be in Frankenstein, but not in the part that he wanted. Lugosi was cast as the monster, though he felt that he was a better fit as the mad doctor Frankenstein. After numerous makeup tests and screen tests with the FX artist Jack Pierce, Carl Lemley Jr. felt that Lugosi looked too silly in the makeup. (laughs) That's quite sad. (laughs) You know what's so funny is that, like, Lemley, I guess, like, laughed hysterically like at Lugosi and was like, this is awful. Oh my God. And I think that that made Lugosi like super mad. <laughs> and he was just like, forget it. I'm not doing this. And oh just left. And so he was not going to be in it. Oh. So it was then that a relatively unknown 43-year-old actor named Boris Karloff was brought in by director James Whale. Whale loved Karloff's penetrating stare and apparently he saw Karloff while he was at like this uh like restaurant or something mm-hmm. or and Whale was like oh my god like you <laughs> are awesome and he like took him out for coffee and <laughs> you look like a monster well, I need you <laughs> I guess Karloff was like dressed to the nines that day like he was like all in a suit and his Whoa. hair was all like slicked back and he looked like super nice oh my god and James Whale was like you could scare everyone holy crap and he was like oh dang oh The film was released a week before Thanksgiving in 1931 at the height of the Great Depression. But to everyone's relief, Frankenstein was another huge success for the struggling Universal Studios, and it eventually made $12 million at the box office. And that's in that time's money. Whoa, that's nuts. 
So there's no doubt that Frankenstein changed horror and cinema forever. Mm-hmm. Village Voice film critic Elliot Stein said in a 2009 article that Frankenstein is, quote, the most influential horror film ever made. This stark and stylish work has a weird fairy tale beauty, unquote. So with that said, Abby, could you please remind us of the plot of Frankenstein? Sure. So the story of Frankenstein is actually centered around Dr. Henry Frankenstein. So everyone calls the actual monster Frankenstein, which we're going to talk about later in the episode, but he is actually just the monster. So Dr. Henry is obsessed with creating life out of something that's already dead. So along with the help of his henchman, Fritz, they dig up corpses to experiment on. Like, freshly dead corpses. Yeah. So he kind of holes himself away in this abandoned tower, and he works on dissecting and piecing bodies back together. Fritz actually breaks into, I believe it's like a neuroscience lab, and steals an abnormal brain that they put into the monster. Um, Meanwhile, Henry's fiancée, Elizabeth, is kind of left in the dark about what's going on with him. She has no idea, like, where he's been and what he's been doing. So she employs the help of Henry's professor, one of their very close friends, and they go to the watchtower and check and see, you know, what is going on with him. So they get there, and in the middle of this crazy lightning storm, Henry and Fritz bring this monster to life, that he's been working on his whole experiment works and the monster is created and he's alive and he's so big and brutish it's really crazy like especially for the time that the movie came out it's so creepy so elizabeth finally confronts henry and she's like hey are we actually gonna get married what's going on with you what's the deal man so they, as soon as the monster is created and kind of brought forth, Henry gets right to work on planning their wedding day, and it happens basically like a couple days later. So on their wedding day, the monster actually escapes. He's being held in a jail cell, and he kind of runs amok in the town, and he stumbles upon a little girl playing next to the river, and, you know, he doesn't He's not really all there. He doesn't have the motor functions that normal people do. So, um, you know, he's... And he's a baby. Yeah, he is. He's a baby. He's like a little tiny, helpless baby. Yeah. But he's so big and brutish. So he's playing with this little girl, and he picks her up and throws her in the river just to, you know, be kind of like, hey, this is how we play. But she doesn't know how to swim. Yeah. So she drowns, and her father finds her and carries her into town, and everyone's like, oh, my God, what happened? And he says, you know, she was murdered. So the town gathers to go and, you know, find the murderer and kill the monster, basically. So they follow the monster. He goes back to Henry's, I believe it's his castle, You know, Elizabeth says to Henry, I feel like something's going to happen. Something is going on today. And Henry's like, oh, you're fine. It's just pre-wedding jitters. Female intuition is real. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Don't deny it. It super is. So he's like, "Ah, you'll be fine. Let me just lock you in your bedroom and you can get ready for our marriage and stuff like that. And I'm going to go find my monster that escaped. So (laughs) the monster breaks into Elizabeth's room and almost mauls her to death. And um, there, you know, the commotion is heard and stuff. So they break back into the room and Elizabeth is, she's just a mess. She's a pile of nerves and she keeps going on and on about, you know, seeing the monster and that kind of thing. Finally, they track the monster. He goes up this big hill where there's this giant windmill and Henry follows the monster into the windmill and in a final showdown chases the monster to the top level and the monster throws Henry out a window and the poor guy <laughs> is just like just ragdolls it down to the freaking ground and all the townspeople are like oh my god and they set fire to the windmill and it's believed that the monster died in the windmill he was burned alive 
cut to Henry on bed rest in his manor. The movie ends with his maids and um, I, I think it's his uncle. No, it's his father. Or his father like drinking to his health. Drinking not just to his health, but to the health of the family. Yeah. Like the house of Frankenstein. Yes. And then, yeah, then it's over. Yeah. But is it? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, that's Frankenstein. Wow. Thank you, Abby. That was very nice. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, listen, it doesn't pass the Bechtel test. Boo. Yes. <laughs> Does it make it a bad film? No. Nah. Just makes it very male dominated, which really sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what's really exciting is that the story was written by a 19 year old woman who was the daughter of basically the mother of feminism. Heck yeah. Yeah. So that's what all of us lady horror fans can really hold on to in our hearts. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> So you watched a documentary about Mary Shelley. We're going to talk more about her and like how she came up with the idea of Frankenstein when we review The Bride of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. which is going to be sooner than you all think. Yay. Um, but like Frankenstein is one of the most reprinted novels in the world, and it is one of the most adapted novels brought to film. And I was doing some research, and I found out like... There might be more, but there's about 78 different adaptations to film. That's nuts. Yes. So That's so cool. There might be more, but there is at least 78. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Mary Shelley, like when you... Okay, so let's talk about like the beginning and like some of the differences. Um, at the beginning of the movie, you see that it's based on a novel by Mrs. Percy B. Shelley. And that while researching this, that was the first time I had noticed that. Yeah. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I was like really mad. I was like... it's her husband's name, right? Yes. And yeah. I was fuming. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think a lot of people thought that he wrote it. Because I think she had published it anonymously. I don't, I'm not quite sure. Garbage. Garbage, exactly. He is a garbage man. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's pretty upsetting. Yeah. So that was something that I've noticed for the first time while watching it. And I was like, wow, this is BS. Like, I was really mad. You know, her life kind of reminds me of like a Jane Austen novel, you know? But I was watching this documentary and I'm like, this poor lady. Yeah, her life sucked. Yeah. Her life sucked. It was rough. <laughs> really, really rough. Really, really rough. Like, you guys definitely should get a hold of a biography or watch a biography about Mary Shelley's life and and her mother, too. Like, they were both women who, like, had a lot of heart and a lot of brains, and they just were born at the wrong time. Wild fact, though. I don't know if you knew this. I'm watching this documentary and it's available on YouTube. So if you like go and search for Mary Shelley on YouTube, this will pop up. It's a really good like BBC documentary. They were talking about when Mary first met Percy Mm -hmm. and they had sex on her mother's grave. That was like her first sexual experience. Yeah. I almost swore on the podcast. This is a safe for work podcast. Yeah, it is. Wow. Well, um, not so safe for work because of <laughs> what I just said. But well, like you can guarantee no f words. But we're definitely gonna talk about sex. Yeah, girl, she was wild. That is so amazing. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, sure, cemetery's cool, but on your mom's grave. Her mom was probably mom's like. Grave. I don't know. Her mom might have been like, yeah, girl, get it. <laughs> yeah, no. Maybe not. I don't know. But that is wild. Yeah. Okay. We got some stuff to talk about. <laughs> so there are some very clear differences in this film from the novel. Most of the film is based on the stage production written mm-hmm. by Peggy Webling. Uh, some differences are like the time period is really kind of sketchy. Like It's strange. You don't know when this takes place. Um, the time of events and the location is all kind of like obscure. Like you really don't know where it takes place or when, like in time it takes place. Like Isn't Henry short for uh, Henrik? Is yes. it German? Yeah. 
Yes. So it might be well, Germany. Or yes. That area. And Frankenstein is a very right that area kind of and name. And he's Stein. And he's probably. Stein. Yep. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> so um another thing that really interested me was that many of the characters' names were switched around. And like the very like prominent one is Henry Frankenstein in the movie, but it's Victor Frankenstein right. in the novel. Yeah. And then in this one, Victor is the friend Yes. Rather than Henry being the friend That's like, in the why, novel. When I rewatched this, I was so confused. I was like, wait, who is the doctor and who is not? Because this is Victor, but he doesn't look very doctory. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah, yeah, it's really weird. And I'm not sure why they did that. Henry is a is a like aesthetically, it's a more soft a softer name. Yeah. Like Henry Victor, you know. But like I don't see I don't understand why they did that. that me neither. I can That's maybe strange. see like wanting to maybe bring like more sympathy to Henry by changing his name, I guess. But it still is like a stretch. Like that's just yeah. a stretch to me. Yeah. So I'm not sure why they did that. Another thing that was added was Fritz, the hunchback assistant. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people think that the name is Igor. Yeah. And Igor doesn't show up until Son of Frankenstein, I think. Or no, House of Frankenstein. God, yeah. I don't remember. It's the one with Basil Rathbone. <laughs> and and uh, Bella Lugosi plays Igor, the character Igor, who oh, is like wow. a hunchback person. Yeah, but okay. that doesn't happen till then. It starts off with an assistant named Fritz. And Fritz was added so that Frankenstein had someone to talk to rather <laughs> than recite monologues to himself about his creation. That was a good move. <laughs> yes it made him seem a little bit less insane yeah so. it definitely does and because otherwise how do you explain to the audience about what you're doing like when he's talking about digging up the the, the bodies and stuff he's like right. a new life Whoa, and I create life and it's like you're not talking to anybody who are you talking to fritz so that makes it easy so when other humans enter into the into the film like the the Elizabeth and and Henry or Victor God Victor the friend and the professor friend like Fritz isn't needed anymore really and so he's killed off by the monster yeah. like in the movie yeah he's sort of there in the beginning and then he doesn't he's not needed anymore poor Fritz Fritz also plays a role in mixing up the brains that he steals yes. from the medical school and that actually wasn't in the play oh that was added in the film yeah, it wasn't in the novel either. It was added as sort of like a simple explanation as to why the monster is so violent rather than getting into anything philosophical about the monster's like tormented birth and life mm. after death. Like there there was like, no, he's just a criminal, which I think is I think is very lazy. But mm-hmm. uh, I can see this movie's like what? like not even like almost an hour long a little over an hour long it's it's super short short. and it was sort of like that was like their way of explaining like why he's born upset yeah which there's so many things that you can get into i'm not like a medical student i'm not a psychologist science has come so far really yes (laughs) because they talk about like the shape of the head and the brain and like jack pierce who did the makeup like looked at pictures of criminals and i'm like what's the word um close-minded that yes. like all like criminals like look this like look the same and like that's like really like i think old that school that comes though from um i'm totally blanking on what this study is called oh but... no because my husband told me right before he left today and i was like oh great i'll remember that for the episode and i've forgotten already i want to say the word begins with a p but it's it was it came from like super super early studies of psychology and right. it basically talked about like how if you had it it looked at the actual like physicality of the brain right yeah rather than like you know what actually goes on in the brain exactly. and like the features of people's faces and stuff like that how yep. it contributed to their behavior and it's like there is there's no link there, though. There, really? No, you're right. And like, this is where and and they use this this science, in this like this bozo science. News. Yeah, they use this in this film, and it's sort of like, no, that's not how it works. Yes, <laughs> you watch this, and you're like a criminal brain. No, yeah, no. Anyway, so that's what happened. Huh? 
Uh, so the creation scene was also really new to the story. In the novel and in the play, the scene is either left out completely or it's too vague to explain. So the writers and the director, James Whale, came up with this whole new mad scientist laboratory creation scene. So like in the in the novel, from what I can remember, she just sort of talks about how he just all of a sudden is there the monster is there he wakes up and then here he is there's no like lightning bolts there's no like weather patterns or like like he's just all of a sudden there which is so weird because then it's like is black magic involved like there's no explanation as to why the monster is there like no science and and i think it's because she really did not know how he could be there yeah and so she's like, here, yeah, the monster. Yay. Well, how do you do it? Science, you know? And it's just like, okay, but what kind of science? Like, she yes. doesn't explain. Yeah. And in the uh, and in the play, I'm pretty sure, like, they just, like, leave it out, like, all together, I think, or something. He's just there. Wow. I don't, from what I understand. But, yeah. And so James Whale was like, nah, we got to, like, show, like, how this happened. Well, I think, too, it. It's like speaks about the times and where science was at that moment. Like a lot of people thought that science was evil. So if that was, you know, what she was thinking, like. Because I can see readers being like, oh, yeah, witchcraft. OK, like still evil, but like <laughs> it's better than science. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah. So James Whale was like. I, and this is he said this um, he quote I consider the creation of the monster monster to be the high spot of the film because if the audience did not believe the thing had been really made they would not be bothered with what was supposed to happen afterward by this time the audience must at least believe something is going to happen it might be a disaster but at least they'll settle down and see the show yeah um, and side note all of the equipment in the laboratory was junk from automobiles and radios and planes that had been collected over the years by an electrician who worked at Universal. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So he, yeah. So he just was like, here's all my stuff. And That's they're like, wild. this is perfect. And they just <laughs> made it look like a laboratory. Hey, it worked. So what do we call the monster? Many non horror fans refer to the monster as Frankenstein. <laughs> when all of us horror fans cringe. And say, no, it's not called Frankenstein. It's the monster. Yeah. So the mainstream choice is to call the monster Frankenstein. And that actually comes from the play from 1927. They all freely call the monster Frankenstein because (laughs) he's the unnatural, as it may be, spawn of the doctor. Oh, my God. And this ties in nicely to the end of the film. The Baron toasts to the toasts to the house of Frankenstein and in a way it seems strange because the monster is now a part of that family (laughs) and he's like rejected by it and presumably killed off and being too ugly or violent and not worthy of the house yeah that was my little (laughs) connection did you ever call the monster Frankenstein and not think about it yeah Yeah, I definitely did because I saw it when I was youngish And also, like, growing up watching, like, Scooby-Doo and stuff like that. Yes. I'm pretty sure they called that monster Frankenstein also. You know, we make a big deal of it and people are just like, Ugh. like, one time I was talking and, and I was referring to the monster as the monster. Mm-hmm. And somebody there was like, oh, you're a real horror fan because you didn't call it Frankenstein. <laughs> and I was like, it's not that big of a deal. No. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Like, I'm I'm glad you noticed that I understand like horror stuff, but like don't be rude about it. I know. Like don't be mean about for other people who might not do it. Right. Whatever. Yeah. To each their own. Exactly. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> okay. So the end of the film was changed just before its November release to give it a more uplifting ending. Initially, both Frankenstein and the monster perished in the fire at the mill, but reactions at test screenings caused Universal to reshoot a happier ending, showing Frankenstein alive with Elizabeth. So this new epilogue was shot after actor Colin Clive, who plays Frankenstein, had already returned to his native Europe. Oh, and a new actor was used in that single long shot in which we see Frankenstein and Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the same actress. It's still Mae Clark, but it's a different guy, which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So an uplifting ending. That is so interesting to me because it's like, 
I think it's so much more poetic if they both die. Under contract, Universal was told that all of the monsters have to be killed at the end of the movies. Wow. Otherwise, really? yeah, otherwise they wouldn't get a theatrical release or something along those lines. I know that the monsters had to be destroyed though. So, I'm sure that ties into it, but I think you're right. I think Frankenstein should have perished with the monster. Wow, that's really interesting that like they had to die because they do die, all of them. Mm-hmm. In all of the movies, mm-hmm. every single one, they die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like even the creature ones in the 50s, like cre- the creature dies in every Yeah. in every movie <laughs> to the point where they use the same death scene. <laughs> Oh my in the first, god! The, from the first one in the second one, so it's just like out of control. That is wild, man. Mm-hmm. Good morning, Nancy is proudly sponsored by Recess Coffee. We wouldn't be able to create such great content without being fueled by their magical beans. And the great part is, is that each batch of coffee is locally, artisanally roasted, and it comes from fair trade farmers. Gracie, what's your favorite blend? Oh my gosh. Okay, so my favorite blend is the Westcott blend. It has African and Indonesian beans mixed to create a clean, rich, and full-bodied cup of coffee. Mm. It has a rich floral vanilla aroma with a sugared almond flavor and a lemon finish. Yum! Ooh, delicious. My favorite is the Austin's blend. It's a unique blend of African, Indonesian, and Central American beans roasted to create a characteristically rich, dark, and smoky cup. It has a bold roasted nut aroma with chocolate flavors and a smooth, fruity finish. The coffee is seriously so good. I don't even have to put any cream or sugar in it. I just drink it black like my soul. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So guys, head on over to recesscoffee.com to order yours today. Or if you're a Syracuse local, stop by either shop at 110 Harvard Place or 110 Montgomery Street. So drink coffee, shoot lightning. Now back to the show. So we mentioned Jack Pierce briefly at the beginning of this episode and also briefly in our Wolfman episode. Mm -hmm. He was the makeup artist hired for the movie Frankenstein. The final design for the monster came from sketches done done by James Whale and sketches done from Jack Pierce's referencing of, you know, these criminals. Uh, So Jack studied anatomy, surgery, medicine, criminal history, criminology, burial customs. Whoa. And he did this for months to make sure that he got the logistics right for like the look of the monster and like the look of his like arms and like his walk and his like everything. Like he just wanted to make sure he had like everything, like what this would look like. If a corpse was walking, this is what it would look like kind of thing. So Jack Pierce and Boris Karloff met for like hours every evening in the weeks leading up to the film's production to go over the monster's look. And Karloff had had like a bridge for his molars. Oh, yeah. And he removed it on his right side and the actor would like suck in his cheeks and then like then Pierce would like shade it like (sighs) he would highlight his His contouring. (laughs) He would contour his cheeks. (laughs) You ain't so, got nothing, Kim K. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So he would like, yeah, so that's why he has like such beautiful cheekbones in this <laughs> in this film. The makeup oh. process was so grueling, Abby, that it was rumored that Karloff would sometimes sleep in his makeup so that he didn't have to reapply it the next Girl, day. Girl, <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I know how that goes. (laughs) So Karloff's performance was unappreciated by Universal Studios executives. Oh. They like, okay, so they even excluded the actor from the movie's premiere. That's how much they were like, he's a nobody. Listen, though, this was Karloff's 81st film. This was not his first film. Yes. No. I kid you not. Was he like... And he extra? he was in like silent films. He was in like some bit parts and like talkies, but yeah, this was not his first or like his third film. Like he had been in a ton of films. He was forty three. Why did why? I don't know. They were just like he's a nobody because he because he wasn't like a lead. This was his first lead role, basically. Yeah, yeah. So they were just like he's a nobody, and that's stupid. 
Oh my god. Yeah. The worst. But listen, like movie audiences were like so impressed. They were like, this guy is amazing. Yeah. Like everybody was talking about him. And many viewers were reportedly so terrified by his appearance that they fled from the theater. <laughs> People have left a film because they've been bad, but I've never been to a film where people run away in fear. Like that was like a thing. And that's amazing to me. That's so crazy. Yes. Karloff called the monster his favorite film role and film history has tended to agree with him. The actor was identified with that part until the day he died. And he said about the monster, quote, God bless the old boy. Without him, I would be nowhere, unquote. He really appreciated that role. And holy cow, that's just bananas to me that he I I wonder I need to like research why he was left out of like the Hollywood scene because that just blows my mind. Yeah, I really think it was because he wasn't an A-list actor and you know, at in the opening like the like question mark, you know, at the beginning when they like yeah. list all of the actors, there's a question mark as to who's the monster. Oh yeah. And they actually did that because the stage production, there was, a, there was a stage production like even before the 1927 one, there was one in 1823. <laughs> and um, that one actually started that. We're like, you never found out who played the monster. Didn't they, they did that with Creature though, right? Creature from the Black Lagoon. They didn't credit anyone because no, they wanted they didn't. to. Yeah. Oh my God. They didn't credit anyone. They... You know, and I yeah, that one's that one is interesting because they don't even show the question mark for the creature. Yeah. There's just like no creature on there. <laughs> um, but for Karloff, it was that question mark, and then at the end they show his name when they list the players again. But at the beginning, it was like who's the monster, and I don't know if that kind of like turned executives off and were like, okay, you know, like maybe he doesn't matter kind yeah. of thing and they took that as a sign that he's like just a a guy that does extra stuff and which that role was so important because if they had casted the wrong person it would have ruined the entire movie obviously if they had casted Bella Lugosi like everyone would be <laughs> laughing their butts off yes yeah i mean boris karloff is he's scary looking anyway yeah and he's such a gentle man like may clark said that he was like a kitten like he was just a sweet guy and he had like tea time like if you see behind the scenes footage you'll see boris karloff sitting in a chair makeup chair with his uh frankenstein monster makeup and he's just drinking tea like a british man oh that's precious yeah he's a very precious man Every time I think of Boris Karloff, I think of Arsenic and Old Lace. Oh, my God. Fun fact. He was in that play. No way. He played that role. Nuh-uh. Yes, he did. So, I know. Wild. So, um, if you guys are unaware, Arsenic and Old Lace is a comedy play, and it takes place on Halloween, and this, this crazy stuff happens with like death and arsenic and all this Cary uh, Grant was in the film version and stuff yeah, like that and, and like a bunch a, of other a brother who is like a criminal comes home and he has his face altered like he has like plastic surgery and the doctor that does the Jonathan plas- yes <laughs> your nephew Jonathan <laughs> the plastic surgery that gets done uh, makes him look like Boris Karloff and everyone throughout the show makes fun of him because he looks like that guy from that scary movie <laughs> Boris Karloff but Boris Karloff did play that role at one point that's wild yes, oh my god that's great. so cool yeah okay so the opening scene that was added in much later uh there if before the credits start in the opening of the Frankenstein film actor uh, Edward von Sloan who plays the professor in this he also plays Van Helsing in Dracula oh wow yes okay yes. yeah 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 so he is on like this vaudeville kind of like stage <laughs> and he just walks through the curtain and he's like howdy do <laughs> And he gives like a PSA warning about the film and they added that really late because Universal was like, oh my God, like religious groups are going to go nuts over this film and they are going to like create like this hullabaloo and they wanted to like tell people right now like, hey, so this is a movie about a guy playing God. So I hope you're okay with that. Oh, my God. Yeah. And um, Abby, I'm going to have you read the opening line that's like the PSA warning. Yeah. 
How do you do? Mr. Carl Lemley, the producer, feels it would be a little unkind to present this picture without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to... Uh, well, we warned you. You can kind of tell they threw it in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's pretty great. Okay, so there's a ton of censored material mm-hmm. in this film, and there are two big ones. So many memorable quotes and scenes from the film were cut by state censors. So it wasn't necessarily cut like altogether, but like certain states like would not allow certain scenes. This film is like it's I mean, it's 71 minutes. It's like yeah. it's so short. So with all of these cut scenes in these certain states, it made the film like less than 60 minutes, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ridiculously short. Like, so you guys have got to see. I know some of our listeners like listen to the episodes before they see the films. Like, I encourage you so much to pay the two dollars to watch it on YouTube or something because mm-hmm. it is a phenomenal film. It's so, it's so eerie and strange and does not get a, as much credit as it should in the modern yeah. day. It's such a f- interesting and deep film and. So the line in the scene where uh, the monster comes to life, uh, Frankenstein says, in the name of God, now I know what it feels like to be God. Oh, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. In the name of God, now I know what it feels like to be God. Just think about that line in 1931. Now you're like, "Eh, whatever. But like in that time, people were like, oh, dang, that is too heavy. Yeah. Because you should not feel like you're God kind of thing, you know? So that line was cut in a lot of states. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like uh, women have been, you know, growing babies for, I don't know, since forever. So that's pretty godlike. It's yeah. Like, no, you just know how it feels to be a woman. <laughs> like for real. Seriously. Though. Yeah. And like there is a line from I think Ghost of Frankenstein, which is uh Bella Lugosi is also in that again. He plays Igor again. And he says something like his father was Dr. Frankenstein and his mother was lightning. And I was like, oh, I love that line. Yeah, so it's kind of just like, I don't know. And it's just really great. Bananas. Listen, though, this was like one. This is one of my top five favorite scenes of all time in any film. Oh, yeah. So I'm, yeah, I love it. Mm. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. I'm just like. You're really excited about it. I just want to marry this scene. It's so good. (laughs) You're already married. You can't do that. Well. Okay, so another huge censored scene um, is very sad. Uh, it's the scene where the girl Maria, the little girl who is accidentally, I want to say accidentally killed yeah. by the monster. He does not mean to murder. He doesn't mean to kill her. No. The scene where she meets him and they are throwing flowers into the water was kept. But the second half of that scene, when she when he drowns her and throws her into the water, that scene was cut. And also the scene, most of the scene of her father carrying her through the streets. Ugh. Yes. You killed me. So the scene cuts right when he's reaching for her. And then it immediately goes to... Uh, the father walking in the streets with her, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it, that scene was also cut like way down, which is really sad because that scene is so powerful. Heck yeah. A lot of people who are close to me who listen to the podcast already know that um, a couple years ago, my niece passed away and it was really sudden and it like really, really affected me. And it still does. And when I 
watched this scene, because it had been a really long time since I had watched Frankenstein, the part where Maria's father is carrying her through the street and all of these people are just like, there's people screaming in horror, like, and like one half of the of the uh, people see it and the other half yeah don't. and as he's walking down you see because like, like on one side of the screen like people are still celebrating and on the other side people see what is happening and that yeah. gradually changes until everybody notices and it's very sad and yeah very powerful. and like everybody kind of gathers around him when he's he's like standing in front of the i think the mayor or something the burgermeister yeah yeah basically and like that scene, I was texting Gracie and I was like, I'm like bawling my eyes out right now because that's exactly what it feels like. Like when we were there in the hospital, when it happened, there were like the staff of the hospital that were really quiet and, you know, they've like seen it all. The, they see it all the time. So like they can't really say they can but they choose not to say much they're just kind of shocked when it happens and then there was our family and we were so grief stricken and just like the noise of the people in the town it was like a replica of that and it was so horrible but I was like this is amazing that they were able to do that with this film. And, you know, people who have had the same experience that I have, if you watch it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But for those of you who might not know, I'm really happy that you don't know. But it just, it captured it so perfectly. And we went on to kind of talk about it too. And, um, you know, we kind of said like, this is why we watch horror, though, because it helps you realize that you're not the only one and bad things happen to many, many people. And, you know, there is you can get through it and, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But also you don't have to kind of separate yourself from that. You can embrace it and you can be, you know, curious about it or want to know more about it. So that scene is just, oh, like it gives me chills just thinking about it. Yeah, I rewatched the film last night and watching that again, I really studied that part because I was like, I don't know how he got like, it feels like 200 people. I don't yeah. know how he got 200 people to react so realistically. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, because even though I've never had yet this experience of of losing somebody so suddenly, um, I could even see how powerful this scene was from a very ignorant point of view. Yeah. And I'm sure that's why it was cut. Yeah. Which really is very unfortunate because, like you said, there's nothing wrong with being having death just in your face Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with having death sit at your table with you yeah because it's natural right even when it happens in an unnatural way the act of dying is is a part of our lives and Mm -hmm. it's okay to be okay with it yeah yeah well not only that just the way that it was captured, you know, the way that he's carrying her lifeless body, mm-hmm. that, I mean, one, that girl is extremely talented because it was just, it was literally just like dead weight. Like, she said how it was very hard on her. She was this little kid and yeah. she was like, this was really tough because I had to just lay there and I could not move. <laughs> she does great. Yeah, she did. Um, And I don't want to, you know, like, lessen the impact that maybe other movies have or say that like it's not as horrible but in a lot of other horror films when a child dies it's not like it happens and it's over instantly because you don't really want to dwell on it but this one it was like a big deal 
It was a huge deal. Yes, absolutely. Which is obviously groundbreaking for that time period, but like, holy crap, man. It was some of like the heaviest I have seen in horror. That is what like makes me so like sad for people who have not seen this film. Yeah. Because I'm like, you have no clue what you are missing. Yes. By, by not experiencing the original Frankenstein. Like, and that kind of brings us to like our our final thought. Like, even that scene where like uh Colin Clive as Frankenstein and then Dwight Fry as Fritz are in the uh like digging up the grave. In the beginning, there is a literal image of death, like the skeletal version of like a statue of death, like the skeletal face and like the hood and the scythe. Yeah. And he's standing there and Frankenstein takes a digs up dirt and just throws it in death's face. Kind of like, <laughs> I'm not afraid of you. Yeah. Like mocks it where it's just like, I can overcome it. And it's just so chilling and and atmospheric and this whole film is like that it kind of has that feeling of like wow what am i watching like this is like an art piece it's yeah. so great so yeah like let's listen so this sort of overall theme in frankenstein i feel is like man uses science or witchcraft to, <laughs> to cheat the inevitable but at what cost? Hmm. Can science slash witchcraft, even with all of <laughs> Same its thing, to be basically, <laughs> even with all of its potential, could it ever go too far? Um, have you ever seen Jurassic Park? <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> I think that's the line. No. Don't do that. Don't bring back dinosaurs. There's a reason why they're not here anymore. People, okay. Dinosaurs, (laughs) don't you freaking do it. Don't you do it. They're just going to eat your dog and drink out of your pool and run amok through California. And we're all going to have to. Jeff Goldblum is not going to be around to save us. So don't do it. You better don't. Have you seen that commercial, that Jeep commercial with him in the the Jeep? It's so funny. Not yet. It's really funny. I need to. Anyway. (laughs) But, you know, it's like, okay, so going to science, like, Franken, like, quote unquote, the word Franken has been, the label is now like a lazy journalistic cliche for a technology that you should distrust, though. Yes. Like, it's like another word for like weird. Like people say like Franken food or Franken yeah. bugs and Franken bugs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's also a movie called Franken Hooker. Yes. Which is actually pretty good. Wow. A little it's like one of my guilty pleasure horror movies. Um Gracie, I <sighs> All right. <laughs> Listen, I watched it and I thought, this is going to suck. And then I was over and I thought, I loved it. Oh, my God. <laughs> but maybe, okay, so, like, maybe the real problem, though, is not what Frankenstein made, but, like, how he reacted to it. Yeah. Do you agree? That maybe yeah. it's not, maybe it's not like we shouldn't do all this crazy stuff with science and <laughs> witchcraft, but... <laughs> But maybe it's like maybe we should like own up to it and like figure and like maybe treat it with a little bit more respect. Well, I mean, it's just like having a child, really. You can't just pop a baby out and then just be like, here you go. You're on your own. Like, you can't do that. Right. It's not like we're swallows in the wilderness. Right. Like, (laughs) Frankenstein, the monster, like you said, is like a little baby and he needs to be taught like you can't throw little girls into a river like, you can't do that. You can't maul people almost to death. And let me tell you, he seems fine in the beginning. It's not till freaking Fritz comes yeah. in. A little psychopath. Oh, my God. This just occurred to me. Fritz is sort of like a deformed kind of creature character. You know, he's a normal person. But, like, he's portrayed in this film as a deformed assistant. Yeah. Is he afraid that the monster's going to replace him? 
and Maybe. like the monster is like a better version of like or <gasps> yeah he could feel like he finally has control over something like he's always being told what to do so now he's like i'm gonna crack the whip on you because yeah. he's like you know i'm in charge now and you're gonna do what i say like yeah i think that's that probably yes and frankenstein's like uh hell no it's not until the monster starts like like going after fritz and even then he doesn't become violent he's afraid of the fire and then like they're like trying to hold him back and colin clive's like oh fritz leave him alone leave him alone (laughs) and i'm like he's fine just give him like helicopter parent just give him a benadryl (laughs) he'll be fine Oh my god. And he'll stop being so fussy. Drink this Benadryl milkshake. It's delicious. Basically. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, are people like that with their babies though? Like you said, like uh, yeah. when their yes, ba- their that's babies where come helicopter home. parents come from. But like they're right, their babies come home and they're like they're so cute. Then they start crying. They're like don't want it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or they're oh like so fussy that they make it worse. You know, yeah. like just, just leave let, him alone. Just let the kid cry. Cry it out. He'll wear himself out. He'll be fine. Well, and don't chain it to the wall like you do in the movie because that's what happens. He's chained to the wall and he's like, let me go. And it's like, let him just don't chain him in that room. God, it's too bad that CPS wasn't around. Nope. Not or in the 18, 1930s. Poor Frankenstein. Well, <laughs> we still don't monster. know what year that was. Yeah, I know. It's a mystery. There's a, a public hanging, but it's like everyone's dressed like it's 1930. Yes. <laughs> it's like, what year is it? <laughs> I know. Okay, but if it was in like Germany or no. Russia, no. Ukraine. I don't like, think so. Public hangings? When did those stop? That's, I don't know. I guess that's true. But everyone has a British accent. You see? We don't know where it is or Uh, what's happening. I can't. Wow. That was great. Yeah. Thank you, Abby. That was quite a discussion. That was a lot of different final thoughts. That was an emotional roller coaster. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, thank you so much for listening to this extended episode of Good Morning, Nancy. (laughs) We're just coming back from season two, so we got to make it in depth. Yeah, for sure. You guys can follow us on Twitter at Good Morning Nan, Facebook at Good Morning Nancy, and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. And like I said, if you guys love our show and want to support us, head on over to patreon.com slash goodmorningnancy or pick up some merch from goodmorningnancy.com slash merch. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Have a great morning, and we'll see you next time. Bye.